Welcome to It's a Nice Place to Brew with Jason and George, a show about all things beer and beer making. Gentlemen, please broadcast responsibly. Of course, always. <laughs> Welcome to A Nice Place to Brew. I'm Jason. And I'm George. Welcome. June 2019. It's summertime already. All right, we got all kinds of things to talk about on this episode. Um, for uh, for starters, I have a bottle in front of me, and uh, if, for those who listened to a couple of episodes back of George and I's parallel brew days of making an APA, I am finally going to get to try uh, George's version of the APA, which I'm very excited about. George, do you have a bottle in front of you as well, my my friend? I do. I- I do, and Jason proceeded to make me feel very stingy when I opened up his box because it was not one, but three snow globes that I received when I sent him just one because I had this nice little bottle-sized box that I just put it in and sent over. So I opened it up and I was like, all right, so there's three in here. Okay, that's fine. It's okay. But yes, I do have it in front of me, and I have a... A tap of my own um, that uh, is also in front of me for a side-by-side comparison here. All right. Okay. Well, no offense taken. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I take care of my people. And, and that's one of the things I love about beer making is b- the beer that I make gives me a platform to do that. Yeah. So I won't ask if you've tried one yet or if this will be your first one. You- Don't share it for air. Um, but yeah, I certainly hope you enjoy it, and the side by side I think will be great. Yep, I just poured yours. Okay, and I got it side by oh, side. We're d- oh, we, we're diving right in, huh? Okay. Yeah. Why not? What, did right. you have something yeah, else you sure. wanted to do? I actually, I do have something I want to talk about. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, but uh, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll save it bef- uh, until after we do this tasting. As a matter of fact, this may be a better better piece after we have a have a first sip. Okay. okay. So. Cap is off, pouring. Okay. All Carp right. Is very well. It's pouring very nicely. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, yours did as well. It's got a nice, nice uh, amount of head on it, sticking pretty well. Okay. You's, you've got some haze here. Mm-hmm. Mine does too. Yeah, a little bit less than mine, though. Now, it, for those of you that are, you know, kind of catching up here, uh, the reason why we're doing the side-by-side, Jason, like Jason said, we did Parallel Brew Days. We brewed the exact same recipe on our different equipment. And so now we're, we send each other our little snow globes, which is code for bottles across state lines, and we are um, comparing them, you know, his version and my version to see what the, what the differences are. So Yep. Yeah, two uh, two different systems, same recipe in two different states and two different climates. George enjoyed a nice seventy five plus degree day while I froze my ass <laughs> off in thirty five. <laughs> Anyways, we, we I've, I've beat I've beaten that to a pulp, so we're not going to go over that again today. <laughs> you, you know, one of the uh, one of the noticeable differences here mm-hmm. is there's a darkness in yours, and which is unexpected because we use the same specialty malts yeah um we did and i think that's a function of the system um we had talked about this my my need to kind of recalibrate and um and something that we'll talk about later um i think part it, it part of my fermentation didn't go the way that it should have um, because like you said it's war- it was already warmer temperatures here and I think it fermented at a higher temperature than it should have uh, for the yeast and so I think that's part of what you're seeing yeah that's a that's a great point that and that will do it mm-hmm. so okay no that's no that's that's a good explanation okay on to the aroma. This is a one of the feedback that I got on my uh, my APA, and I think the same is going to uh, reign true for this one. Mm-hmm. The hop notes are mild, yeah, as compared to the style. Mm-hmm. And we only, I mean, we used Chinook and Cascade, and that was it. Um, where's my note? I think the I think the uh, 
bittering edition was uh, was midway also. Um, right. I, I, I think it was close to the beginning, but it wasn't uh, very much. We we okay. went we we like can't be wrong about this. What is it? No no, it's a full sixty. I'm yeah. sorry, I, I was thinking of something else. No, that's okay. But we 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 struck right to the middle of the style, and I think that kind of did us a bit of a disservice considering some of the other ingredients that we had in there. That's a fair point. Yeah. Okay. The, the aroma is nice. It's not, you're not getting the push of hops. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, if that's your version of an APA, you'll you'll think it's a little lacking. It's a, and that's a fair critique mm-hmm. if, if one were to one were to give one. Okay. We've got, um, I got the smell, the sight. Are you ready to dive in? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Cheers. Hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, when I compare them side by side, yours is uh, like taste and mouthfeel and those kinds of things. Yours is more effervescent and has a um, a better depth of, of flavor than mine, if I'm honest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, and one of the criticisms that I got on mine was it was a little thin um, on the body and on the flavor. And so the the brewer that uh, I've been uh, talking to recently made some suggestions on that, but I'd be curious to just do this recipe again uh, with some of the modifications that, to my system that I've made, and and see what happens. But uh, and and more on that in a little bit actually. But uh, I think I think you nailed it a little bit better than I did, to be honest. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, I suffered through it. Yes, yeah. Believe me, well, I wasn't. Uh, yeah, all that it was not a nice, relaxing, warm day. <laughs> all that suffering paid off, I guess. <laughs> um, I wouldn't describe yours as thin. Okay. Um, the body to me is is there, um, and I'm not sure if this is a function of the traveling conditions, but I'm picking up an off flavor. And it's pretty pretty noticeable. Yeah. What are you picking? What kind of off flavor do you think you're picking up? You know, I, I probably have to have to research it, but um, I'm getting I'm getting a strong astringency on the back end. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Do you, you get yeah. that from uh, out of out of your keg? Out of out of mine. Yeah, I think I do. Um. Yeah, I think so. And I'm not what sure. That be. I don't know. I, I I think I stressed the yeast too much, and I think it created some esters and and some flavors that it shouldn't have, and I think that's really affecting what is coming through. To be honest, what well, what exactly did we do differently? Because I mean, we used ten fifty six. We both did a starter, correct? I. Uh, my starter, though, didn't have a whole lot of time, so I may not have had the right amount of... I, I might have underpitched, basically. Okay. How how long did it have on the starter? Honestly, about 12 hours. This one was oh, a little okay. rushed right. for me. So I think, yeah, it, uh, yeah. I think that's part of the problem. So, I mean, it, it. on okay. the back of this and the Hellas I did, I've made some pretty significant changes to my system. Um, that I want to talk okay. about, and I th- and and I think that I can. I think it'll uh, end up producing better beer. Um, but I mean, you got to go through this sometimes, and and you know, learn from those those um, issues. Hey, hey, don't don't feel bad. We've you know, we we all have our have our scenarios like this. Brew days that just don't come out as planned, right? So no, it, it, you know what, you know it happens every once in a while. And one of the things I was thinking about because I, um, I'm not not referring anymore to the APA brew day. I had a more recent brew day that did not go well either. And I got to my and I got to thinking, I have never had to dump an entire batch. I've messed up a whole bunch of batches in a bunch of different ways, but I've never had to toss a whole a whole batch. Mm-hmm. 
which I mean, kind of knock on wood. Yeah, no kidding. Um, this most re- this most recent one was dramatically close. Like it was the closest that I've ever come to it. To to dumping it. To dumping. Oh wow. Yeah, we'll we'll, t- we'll talk about that on on a future show to be the topic for another time. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I think that's saying something pretty positive. Oh yeah, I haven't. I haven't gotten gotten to that point with a batch, but at the same time, even without that, I could write a book about all the stuff that I've messed up. Oh, for sure. And I think part of it is I got a little complacent with my system, and I okay. think that is showing a little bit in some of the results I've been receiving lately. And well, what else did we do differently on the fermentation side? So you had only twelve hour twelve hours in a starter. Mm-hmm. I had forty eight. Um, we're both using that uh, the catalyst um, fermentation system. We've talked about that at length. My temp, um, my temperature was much higher than it probably should have been. It, inside the the wort was probably seventy three, seventy four degrees. Um, you had that inside your house, right? Well, it was yeah, it was warmer in my house, and I was just doing it in my guest room, so it was probably seventy two, seventy three in in my house. And in you know, with the catalytic action inside the uh, the um, inside the wort with the yeast, it's gonna you know raise the temperature a little, little bit more, not much, but like you know, a degree or two. And what's the top end of ten fifty six? Let me let me look that up. Keep talking. Yeah, so I think you know, with stressing it on the temperature as well as on under pitching it. I think it, I probably just did that the yeast a little bit of a disservice. Yeah, the range here is sixty to seventy-two, which I'm not sure what you keep your house at, but yeah, if you're higher than that, then yeah, you you might be onto something. There. Yeah, and so I imagine yours, you you were you know cooler. So if anything, you had to warm up your beer, uh, but you usually keep your house at what like sixty-four, sixty. Five at the lowest? No, no. Uh, f- when I during the during the cold months, I'll top out at sixty eight. Okay, so but that's um, still within range. I'm, so it yeah. is, it is, and I'll drop to sixty two if I'm if I'm at work or out for a long stretch of time. Yeah. So, but I, either way, on both both ends of the spectrum, you're you're within that. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's part of it too. So as you can tell by kind of how I'm talking about it, I'm not as pleased with this batch as. I could have been. So I've got some plans around that, but um, that is, yeah, it's, it, I, I think, I, like I said, I think you were much more successful with your, your batch than I was. Unfortunately, not on every front. So I took this, uh, I took this beer to our uh, friends at, uh, in Downers Grove last mm-hmm. week and um, the universal reaction around the table was diacetyl diacetyl yeah yeah i took a big hit for diacetyl there was one one person in the circle who who admittedly was very sensitive to diacetyl and he said man this is a diacetyl bomb and i said "Ooh, yeah okay well and i've taken hit on on uh, scores from other bjcp uh score sheets for diacetyls you know for different recipes and admittedly, there's things that I could do to address that and monitor that that I've not made regular practice in the past. Mm-hmm. This this one will drive better practices to me. But the uh, I got some advice to take care of that. And the question was posed to me about whether or not this beer was in a keg at the moment. And my response, of course, was yes, mm-hmm. because I move everything into a keg. He said, oh, that's great. You could do something about this. So when you get home tonight... Um, hydrate a packet of uh, USO5 American Ale yeast, the same same one we're talking about mm-hmm. here, and um, and dump that into the keg, and uh, and keep that keep the keg sideways for a period of about two to three weeks, and the yeast over that time will consume the diacetyl. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, because I mean, what what takes care of diacetyl? Long and the short is healthy yeast, right? And and so, usually it's like after they are able to go through their growth and and into their uh, you know the phase where they're basically doing their work, they need that time. So like if you hit your uh, final gravity and you transfer right away, you're going to have more of a chance of having diacetyl than if you like hit your final gravity and leave it for a little bit longer. 
let it rest, let it still consume and produce that, uh, you know, and eat away at that. Because after it's done eating away at those sugars, it'll eat away at those diacetyls and everything, and it'll take care of that. Um, right. So do you, like, after you you hit your final gravity, are you prone to moving it to the keg pretty quickly? No. Okay. Uh, what I do, especially during the cold months, is I'll hit my final gravity, I'll move the carboy to my garage where it's pretty much freezing temperatures mm-hmm. and just let it cold crash in the garage for a week. Well, okay. So, but if you're cold crashing it, you're stopping the fermentation and everything. So that's not moving it to yeah. a keg, but it's still stopping that yeast action that would eat up that diacetyl. So would the answer then be to cold crash and then raise the temperature again? before moving into a keg? I think the answer would be to let it hit final gravity, give it a beat, you know, give it a day or two, and then cold crash it. So that extra day or two would essentially be a diacetyl rest? Essentially, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. No, that's that, that, that's a that's a fair suggestion. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, yeah. I got to get better on that front. So, I mean, overall, aside from the hops, I think it's a pretty good beer. That was the one thing that I needed to address was the diet. Yeah. So, I mean, so I sent you the uh, feedback that I got, but let me read it here real quick. Uh, the recommendation I got was an additional pound of base malt and replacing the biscuit with caramel 10 and upgrading and, uh, and upgrading the Chinook to at least a full ounce. And that was because we did what 0.75 from the, on the Chinook, right? Correct. So Correct. the caramel is going to add a little bit of body and a little bit of color, and but not too much, you know, very low level bond caramel and a little bit of that kind of sweetness. And the Chinook is going to, it's going to present those hops in a way that our beers, both of them are not uh, presenting that. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty sound. Advice. Yeah. So, well, Let's think about maybe doing this over again, maybe late fall. Well, so news about that. Um, okay. You know, like I said, I've been going, my homebrew club has been, found a new home at Old House Brewery in uh, Culpeper. And so okay. once again, I am in a in a homebrew club where we're, when we meet, we meet with a professional brewer uh, and getting that feedback and everything. And that's been very valuable. Um He's very happy with my Cezanne that I made. Not as much with this, but we talked about that. But the this is a brewery distillery winery. And yes, we need to go there when next time you're in town. Um, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and they also have a bunch of farmland because, well, Virginia. And so what they did was they grew barley. And they sent it off to be malted as two-row. And so it has the potential of standard two-row barley. And so what they did was they gave us two sacks of it, and I have 12 pounds of two-row from them that I'm going to use in place of the two-row in this recipe. And I'm going to remake this using their two-row uh, and see how it comes out. So using Virginia-grown base malt. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Don't don't get that opportunity. I know, day. right? So God, I'm gonna talk about a place that's covering every base—a brewery, winery, distillery, and a grain field. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know how often oh they're going to do that, but they're also actually talking about because the brewery section is actually rather new for them. Um. They are currently working on setting up stands, and I think probably next spring they're going to plant hop rhizomes and have a hop field. So I'm hoping to be able to get hops from them, uh, whole leaf hops, and maybe do some dry hopping or use them as as flavor, depending on what they well, that'd grow. Be, that'd be wet hop, wet hops if you're using. Yeah, whole I suppose leaf. it would. Well, I mean, I'm talking about like you know. Um, secondary hopping and, and using them for that but yeah, yeah. but uh, you know we'll see we'll see what they grow if it's going to be a bittering hop or if it's going to be a, a flavor hop and, and what that would be good for so nice but i'm looking forward to that i admit i've never used whole leaf hops before 
I'm intrigued by I, it. I haven't either, to be honest. I've always used those little pellets, see, little rabbit food, you know. Yeah. And you'll be you'll be using a lot uh, a lot more. That's what of I it. hear. Because it take because it takes a lot more concentration of whole leaf hops than those little pellets that we we're, we're used. Yeah, to Yeah, that's what I hear. But you know, the good news there is it's also easier to get out of your beer. You know, that's a good so. point. Yes, exactly. You're you're not going to have all that residue that's stewing around in your liquids. Right. So. I, you know, I also learned something new when I was up there. That did you know that much like champagne, you can't call tequila tequila unless it comes from a certain area in mexico god where's my girlfriend <laughs> oh man <laughs> i've never i know i admit i've never known yeah this. it's because uh, I, I can't say i'm shocked by it but i i can't speak to this yeah, at they all. make tequila uh but they have to call it what do they call it and agave liqueur or something like that you know and okay because it has the same rules the same technical rules as champagne like unless it comes from the champagne area of france it is not champagne it is sparkling wine and you know most people still call it champagne because screw them but and and probably still call it tequila because again screw them but if they do anything official they need to call it, uh, I, I believe it was an agave liqueur or an agave spirit instead of tequila. It's a lot like Star Trek, the next generation. In many ways, it's superior, but will never be as recognized as its original. <laughs> I don't even know if that, I, I, I appreciate the quote, but I don't know if that is true anymore. I think it's, a lot of people <laughs> would, you know, recognize next generation more and probably say that it's the, <laughs> the superior series see i've opened up a topic that i cannot speak to at all i have i'm not a, not a trek guy i have yeah. no opinion on this subject be at careful because i got the nerd cred here you know so <laughs> I, I, yeah 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 i'm out of my league here <laughs> no you know what that's that's very that's very interesting I, I wish i could speak to this i'll have to read up on this and, and know more I'd love to have those the two things side by side here in front of me and I could do a taste test and then I could walk away and know exactly what's what's an agave liqueur versus a true tequila. Well, I don't think there really is a difference, you know, in in the actual spirit. It's just a it's just a form of of the agave. No, it's like I said, I don't think it's it's not. Oh, not not even, you know, like you take the champagne recipe and you make it. In the U.S., it is the same damn thing. You just have to call it sparkling wine. And I'm pretty sure it's the same with um, tequila. So the now I'm sure, you know, given the different um, distillers and the different ingredients that they would use, that there would be a taste difference. I'm sure. But, sure. you know, if you take the same distiller and you like bring his equipment and his ingredients up to Virginia and you say make that here it would taste the same but it would be called agave spirits because it's not made down see, there see i don't have any of this liquid in front of me so i can't say one way it's or true. another here it's true yeah yeah so it's all hypothetical i need some agave liqueur <laughs> well like I said, More we story. will have to run up there when next time you're in town. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think we can close up on the APA. I've got a little story for you. Okay. All right. I sent you a picture while I was at work today. You did. And I'm going to talk about this on the show because this is just, this is too amazing. So there was a calendar event that was sent out a couple days ago uh, saying stop by the middle of the office on Thursday at 3 o'clock. And they wouldn't say exactly why. They just said, be by here at 3 o'clock. It was quiet, smattered. It's like, oh, you're all going to be happy about this. Oh, you're all going to be happy about this. So anyways, we all huddle around at 3 o'clock. And they said as part of, you know, just being summertime and working where we work, um, Every Thursday at three o'clock, they are going to bring around a beverage cart and make beer and wine available to all of the staff members. Dang. So at three o'clock today on a Thursday, I got to enjoy a nine percent ninety minute uh, IPA from Dogfish Head. I was, I was like, wondering if it was the 
90 minute or the 120. I couldn't tell from the picture. The 120 is much more rare and much more expensive. Uh, yeah, but nevertheless, true. the 90 90 minute IPA is no, you know, is no, you know, is is no Miller High Life. Yeah, true. You know, in terms of ABV or quality, that is a solid, solid IPA. It's nice to see your office hasn't succumbed to the whole open office plan BS either. Uh, you actually feels... have, you actually have walls. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do have walls for whatever they're worth. Um, <laughs> Privacy is an issue in the office. Space is an issue. Getting a conference yeah. room is like getting concert tickets. Um, <laughs> and yeah, listen, it's a great place to work. I, I, I'm very, very lucky to to work for a company like I do. Um, but, you know. Hey, you know. There's, there's things I can, wish, I can still wish for. But I mean, honestly, you know, chalk chalk that one up to things that I would never thought I would have the opportunity to do to to crack a ninety minute IPA at three o'clock on a Thursday at my desk. Right. Oh my like god! Com- company sanctioned, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- ex- yeah. Company yeah. sanctioned, exactly. So yeah, <laughs> not bad. Yeah, no, like, good. <laughs> Good on you, Jason's company that I'm not going to say on air because he probably doesn't want me to. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave leave that leave that out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, yeah. let's move on. Um, okay. We uh, we alluded to brew day things that didn't go quite as planned, and mm. George and I were trading uh, messages within the last couple of days about efficiency. And I want to I want to talk about this in a little bit of depth. As I mentioned earlier on the show, I had a recent brew day that did not go very well for some of the same reasons that that George can talk about as well. We made two different recipes, two different days, they have nothing in common, but except they have one common problem. So, George, you want to talk a little bit about what you encountered? Yeah. So my efficiency issues, and again, I think this is you know. You can get good with your uh, brewing to the point where it's almost autopilot. And I think I got to that point. And so the consequence of that was I started assuming that everything was going okay and wasn't as diligent about checking and making changes and, and doing things as I go. That was actually making my beer good. And that's caused my last couple batches to kind of suffer because of that. And it's been very frustrating. And I went back and forth as to why is this happening. And I, and I think it, I figured it out. Um, but basically, like my last one, I was like 10 points off in my uh, gravity reading. And my mash efficiency was just way below where it should have been. Uh, and couple that with the fact that my... When it when I went into the fermenter, I had about what was it? About almost like three quarters to a gallon more liquid than I should have, and it just meant that my original gravity was way low uh, over where where it should have been. But you know, I had already done all my hop additions. I had already completed my boil. I suppose I could have boiled it longer, but you never know yeah. what that's going to do with the with the with the hops already in there and oh, yeah, it's true. just one yeah, of those it yeah it's just one of those situations where i'm like okay what do i do and so i kind of decided to cut bait and that's when i called i was talking to you that night and i was like should i just scrap this and try again or and, and you eventually talked me down and it's it's lagering right now but it is definitely one of the ones that i that i want to recalibrate everything, redo my uh, system, which I'm in the process of doing right now, and 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 try it again and see what happens. The first tip-off was just how how much volume you had in your boil. Yeah. So you knew that you knew that right away. So mm-hmm. I guess for future reference, that should be a first flag. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it wasn't that I had too much. That was definitely a boil-off calibration problem. So I have my pot 
uh, full. Re- if uh, you know, I, I'm I'm uh, tomorrow. I'm going to do the thing where I put in five gallons. I boil it for an hour. I see what I have, and I will get. I will recalibrate and get a true boil off figure. And that way, I can plug that into the system and make sure that I'm, uh, you know, working with the right uh, numbers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've always seen that as a rule of thumb as of, of one gallon per hour. I mean, how much is that really going to vary? Well, it depends on the size of your pot and everything. And that's the other thing that I've kind of been frustrated with recently is I've been using a seven-gallon pot. And it was fine when I was doing three-and-a-half-gallon batches, but I've since kind of gotten back to the whole idea of five-gallon batches. Okay, yeah. And so when I would sparge out and put it into my boil kettle, I'd be at like 6.8 gallons in a seven-gallon pot. And so how tricky does that make, you know, like, uh, what's the word looking for? Hot break and all those situations, you know? Yeah. So I've gone, I'm, I, I, I have the 15-gallon kettle that, that we had. Uh, I'm pressing that back into service and I'm going <laughs> to recalibrate that. But the reason I bring that up is that that, that is so much bigger than the old than the seven gallon one oh, just God, in yeah. in surface area yeah so i'm gonna run that five gallon boil test to see okay is this a is this one gallon an hour or is this slightly higher or slightly lower and and really get a true number as best i can yeah i'd be interested in seeing how much variance there could be there yeah. Maybe it is significant. I mean, you could very well be right. Yeah, you know? and the other thing I did with the boil kettle is uh and this is all the the alterations and upgrades I'm making to try to make, you know, all this run more smoothly is I bought a, a whirlpool kit um drilled a hole in the side of my uh uh kettle in the side of that kettle and put this whirlpool kit on so I can hook up my pump. And I can actually do a actual whirlpool and not just depend on the uh, uh, like a, a, a spoon or, or paddle based whirlpool. I can actually like run the liquid through and create a whirlpool for about fifteen minutes and really let everything settle towards the center. Yeah. And so that way, when I pull off, that's going to pull off uh, a much cleaner, much uh, you know, a much better, uh, you know, clearer. Uh, work into the fermenter that that'll help yeah. yeah it'll make make transferring a lot easier too yeah i think so cool yeah you have a timetable to uh to uh redo this redo no, my oh, apa no. oh yeah no we're on to the we're on to the hellas sorry brain trailed off for a second so I'm not no I don't have a timetable to redo the the Hellas. Um I think my next brew day is going to be the APA though uh in redoing that. Uh, cool. but I do have a bit we talked about it last time. I do have a bit of an issue right now <laughs> cuz I have my Hellas that I made lagering and I can let that lager for like another 30 days. But I also did a wort share up in uh Oh yeah. in oh, Culpeper. Yeah. Which, for those of you that don't know, a work share is uh, when a brewery does the boil and the and the hopping of a beer, and then cools it and gives out the work to home brewers. You know, well, gives out he charged some money for that, but it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Um, so I have a, a five gallon carboy. And so then you could do whatever you want with it. So some people have combined it with other uh, wort or added adjuncts to it or, or, or uh, fermented it with a crazy hop or, I mean, with a crazy um, yeast or anything like that. And then we bring it all back and, and share the results. Nice. Yeah, so I got that. And now I have that fermenting right now. And I have the lager lagering, and I have both my kegs full. So, <laughs> <laughs> when it rains, it pours, right? <laughs> when it rains, it pours. Exactly. So now I'm like, all right, crap. What do I do? Yeah. So there's some 
uh, there's some question there. But I yeah. I have some similar volume issues right now too. And as a matter yeah. of fact, I um, I spoke to somebody today, and I'm acquiring a fourth keg due to good. the generosity of somebody that I know. Nice. So that's always good. The t- well, the timing couldn't have been better too because this brew- this last batch that I had my own efficiency issues with is cold crashing right now and is going to be ready to uh, keg fairly shortly. At the same time, I have a Marzen that is finished lagering and needs a keg up as well. The Marzen is the more immediate need because I need to bottle this up for a competition. It's due in the first week of July. Okay. So thanks to the second keg, I will now be able to do that because I still have half a keg of APA which I still am confident enough I'm going to finish. And I also have a keg of barrel-aged brown ale (laughs) that I still need to plow through. (laughs) It's part of a barrel-aged project. Uh, I happily was was part of of brewing for it, and I was excited about it. But I knew that in the end, I was going to get five five gallons of... I I said barrel-aged brown ale, and I misspoke. Barrel-aged barley wine. Barley wine, no. I'm oh, going to have wow. to do something so with... Gonna, yeah, bar- he, it's a, and it's 11% too. So. <laughs> right. That's not exactly like, let's drink a couple pints while we're watching no, the game. No, it's, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. So, okay. so, so that keg's going to be uh, a fixture in my in my keyser once it's finally done for quite some time. For a little while, yeah. That's an unforgiving beer. So... <laughs> so Getting back to the to the efficiency issues, um, I was talking with the brewer and doing some research, and I came across two things that could help me. Um, number one, he recommends, and some of the research I've done has backed this up, to not do a two-stage mash. So, you know, right now we do the protein, and then we do the sacrification. Um, and he said, if you're using under modified grains or a heavy concentration of wheat then it makes sense to do a protein rest otherwise it makes more sense and can actually be damaging to the efficiency if you don't to just go right to the sacrification rest for the full 60 minutes you know i've done a lot of reading on that same subject and a lot of things i'm reading are saying that same thing yeah I suppose there's something to be said about certain batches too. Uh, wheat beers being a good example. There's just there's certain batches that I think are more conducive to the two stage um, mash, the the two stage mash than some others. Yeah, agreed. And if I think back on some of the recipes that we've done, where it's truly been successful, it has been wheat. It has been. Uh, ones that we've had uh, a higher concentration of specialty malts and things like that in it, that that and that you know those two stage ones have been really successful in that. Well, remember um, the our introduction to this was the Pilsner Brew Day, which we did the decoction. Well, that and, was the decoction, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. W- which essentially, I mean, that's a multi stage mash also, and it's and it's got a lot of the same elements, except one has more work than the other. Right. Yeah. And so I was, and, and that leads into the next thing that, cause you remember the ridiculous efficiency we got with the decoction? Oh my God. Yeah. That's, that's the whole reason we said, okay, we have to repeat this in some kind of way that's going to work for us. Right. But we got it wrong. The reason the decoction mash did so well was the agitation, not the temperature thing. Now, I'm sure the temperature thing was good, you know, because that's what decoction mash, you know, does. You take the grains out, you boil them, you put them back in to get to the next stage of, uh, you know, the next temperature that you want to go to. Yeah, and, I, like where, I like where you're going. Keep going. Yeah. So, but the other thing that, because I was, I was reading up that same night because I was really frustrated. My, my wife was like, you need to stop moping. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I just need to read some stuff about why I'm fucking up right now and then I'll be fine. <laughs> you know? That is the first F-bomb that George has ever dropped on this show. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry if there's any kids listening to a beer <laughs> podcast but there you go uh, 
Um, but this is going to be what, a censored episode. <laughs> if you you could feel free to to, to censor uh, me we'll, if you we'll, wish. We'll see. But the uh, um, uh, well, if you look at like professional mash, uh, I'm sorry, professional, yeah, mash kettle and mash tons and everything, uh, they have a paddle in it that keeps the mash moving. And one of the things that I read about how you can improve your efficiency is to stir your mash. Yeah. And like, and, and stir it like once every five to 10 minutes and or constantly, which I've seen a lot of, a lot of videos that that's how a decoction is done. Right. And that's, and when I'm talking about like the professional ones where that paddle is continuously moving, it's that agitation is continuous and it keeps right. that moving. But in a home brewer setting where you don't necessarily want to be stirring your mash for 60 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. If you do it every like five to 10 minutes, you can improve your efficiency. And when I think back to when I wasn't being dumb and having everything on autopilot, I was doing that because when I was checking my mash, I was stirring it to even out the temperature before I took a temperature reading. And so I was doing what I should be doing as a function of wanting to make sure everything was staying within temperature and I was improving my efficiency. Hmm. Yeah, that's that, that's connecting a lot of dots for me too. So the stirring is pro- is aiding in the extraction of the sugars from the grains. Yeah. Yeah, or, more so or, more so than the than the temperature. That do, that makes sense all around. Or maybe it it may very well be that you know, when you just let them sit there, it creates hot spots and cold spots and things. And the cold spots are going to be less efficient. The hot spots are going to, you know, be potentially damaging and stirring it up just keeps the temperature constant. Either way, it's, it, it, it it makes sense to me. Yeah. God, this this makes me want to make another batch right now. I know me too. I've been, (laughs) I've been, as I've been reading this, I was like, why am I not brewing this weekend? And I was like, right. I'm completely out of fermenters and kegs. And then the last thing, uh, have you ever heard of an iodine test? Yes. My brew day at Will County, this came up. Did you guys actually do one? Yes, we did. And I'm, Oh, God. I, I'm drawing a complete blank on exactly when and what it accomplished. Okay. So, an iodine test or a starch conversion test is a test that you perform when you are at the end of your mashing. And so, you take a little bit of iodine and you take a little bit of your wort and you mix it together. And depending on what color the iodine turns, lets you know how well your starches have converted and if you still have potential left to convert in 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 the uh in in the grains and i don't remember i think if you want i think if it turns black you're done um no, but if there's just no sugars left there's like yeah. no sugars left yeah and you're done yeah. but if you do it and then obviously you just chuck that because you don't want to chuck iodine into your into your boil kettle or oh, anything yeah, for sure but if um but that's the other thing i'm gonna do is i'm gonna do i'm gonna start doing a starch conversion test with iodine and you know that's one of the situations where if you find out you still have a ways to go keep going with your mash you know make sure you know stir it up make sure that your uh temperature is where you need it to be and keep going with your mash i like that yeah we we covered a lot of new things here on this topic. I know we talked about uh, efficiency. We've talked about on many, many shows in varying levels, but we've never talked about the stirring element of it. We've never talked about the iodine test. This, well, we covered a lot of new ground here on a on a on what seemed to be an old topic. Well, you know, they say necessity is the mother of invention, and that's true. For me, though, screwing up is the mother of information because when, <laughs> whenever I really mess up, I'm like, all right, what happened? How can I do this better? And I go into research mode and start, yeah, you know. That's where your tinkerer nature comes out. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You, you see that stuff and you, you know, you come to the table and just come up with a solution 
and hats off to you for that. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, how many, how many things have, you know, have gotten better and gotten fixed because of the, that effort that you've put through? Well, it's, it, I, it just, you know, not knowing bothers me. Like it physically bothers me. And yeah. so if I can, if I can do some research, if I can figure out what's going on, even if there's nothing I can do about it, like there's, I can't fix that Hellas. It is what it is. I think it's yeah. going to turn out fine. I think it's going to be a perfectly th- fine tasting beer. I think it will too. But from what you told me, I really do. But I can't fix the original gravity. Yeah. You know, but I can learn from that and try to do better. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, as far as mash efficiency, those are the kinds of things that I've figured out I, that I need to test out and figure out how how effective they are, but that I figured out so far. All right. Good deal. Yeah. Anything else before we close out this this topic? Uh, I don't think so. I think those are the major things that I'm I'm gonna be doing. Uh, did you did you decide to do anything different with my? Uh, oh well, uh, uh, on the to, on the most on the most recent one of mine on the mash efficiency situ- on the front because I know you recently had some struggles with that as well. <sighs> You know, I'm going to take the advice that you that you gave about about the stirring. I think that's a valuable one. Okay. Um, I do feel like I'm doing mostly the right things. Um, I, I'm I brought in the sous vide for temperature control, which you know, it's your advice, which I do think is going to in the end going to be a nice upgrade. Um, I think my equipment profile is sound. Um, I, I really. I'm not convinced, and and maybe this is unhealthy for me to say, but I don't. I'm not convinced right now that I have an overall problem in my process that needs to be addressed. Okay, I just kind of chalk this up. I had a crappy brew day. Yeah, you know? I mean, they and, and the last and the last four or five behind this, my numbers have been solid. I mean, it's been a while since I've fucked up a a um, a mash, or I've had bad bad mash numbers. So yeah. You know, I, I say this now, but I may, I may, on my next batch, I may come back to the table and say, hey, something's wrong here. But un- until that comes up, I, yeah, I think usually, what I'm doing is right. Usually I do too. These last two I have not been happy with. And so, like you said, that tinker in nature comes out in me and I'm like, all right, I need to do something because I can't keep going. If I keep going the way I am, I'm going to get frustrated with my hobby and I don't want to do that. Not a and good that's, thing. Yeah. It's not why we have hobbies, right? Yeah, but, that's why we but have at the work. same time, that is that's an interesting <laughs> conversation by itself. Is yeah, there are hobbies that cause people stress, and I suppose in many ways this could be one of those because well, making beer just by its own nature is not a simple thing. No, you know, and, it's and it, I, there's a difference between stress and frustration. Mm-hmm. The if you are like. One of my other hobbies is gaming, and it, I will purposefully crank a game up to sometimes not the highest level, but like the second highest level when I'm first starting out with it, and I will die repeatedly, like all the time, and just get super <laughs> frustrated, super stressed out, not frustrated, but stressed out with it, and... To the point where my dog is concerned about me <laughs> and is like, why don't you just put it down for a while? I'm like, no, I'm having fun, damn it. And <laughs> but, you know, there's a difference between stress and frustration. And, 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 and that's, that's the difference for me is stress means that I'm pushing myself and I can get better. Frustration means that I'm I've I've hit an impasse or a rut that I can't get past and and that's that's the difference to me. Well said. All right. Yeah. Next. Next. So we both in our own ways have upped our fermentation game in a way. Yes, we have. Yeah. You want to talk about yours? Well, nothing here is too different than what's been talked about on previous shows. We've talked about the Catalyst Fermenter. We've talked about my fridge from 1947. Mm-hmm. The only difference is I I took on what I knew was going to be a very difficult project and repositioned a freezer that's um, that's 
bolted into the top portion of the fridge and was able to carve out just enough room that the catalyst can fit. So magically, I now have perfect fermentation temperature control with the tools nice. that I already had. Yeah. It only just involved just cutting through metal in order to do it. Did, well, how'd, how'd you do that? Did you use a pair of tin snips or what'd you do? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, I was able to find an area of the fridge that I could drill into and I was able to uh, use a drill upwards and just enough that it can hold it in the proper spot. Okay. All so, right. Yeah, it was uh, It was not the prettiest job ever, and I, I had some help. So so here we are. Yeah, but now you have, like, temperature control. And, oh, yeah. And oh, with that, I, you can do, like, upgrade. full lagering and everything. So that's exactly. great. Exactly. No, it's, it's going to, in the end, provided that the fridge doesn't decide to die on me, fingers crossed, hmm. it's going gonna, it's gonna to prove to be a very nice, um, it's going to be a nice upgrade to my setup. Nice. On another note, um, I did see on on Facebook a uh, it was a marketplace ad, and there was a guy who was selling a bunch of um, insulation and um, panels geared towards people that wanted to either build their own refrigeration unit or their own temperature controlled fermentation area, and got a pretty good amount of attention. I mean, this this guy had a whole stock room full of this stuff. And oh, it was wow. all just these these large boards, nothing cut to length. I mean, it was all just full sized, and uh, yeah, there, there, and there's it's interesting. There's a lot of lot of people out there that are construction minded. George is one of those, <laughs> and they they see stuff like that and they're like, "That's what I could do with that." And hat, I mean, hats off to, to all that. I mean, just you know, with that that creator's mindset. Well, so. I mean, so I created a fermentation chamber, kind of like what you're describing. And what I did was I went off to Home Depot and I bought, I think it was like maybe $80 worth of materials. It wasn't too bad. And got and went out on the Facebook marketplace and got a $30 mini fridge. And when I saw this mini fridge, it had stickers of different breweries on the front of it. <laughs> so I was like, all right, that mini hint, fridge. Hint, hint. Yeah, that mini fridge wants to be a fermentation chamber. Right. But it was way too small to be a actual ferment. I couldn't fit a fermenter in it. So what I did was I went out to the internet and kind of looked up some designs on fermentation chambers and ra- found one on Homebrew Talk. And it was basically you build an insulated wood chamber and box with a hole cut in the side that you butt the mini fridge up to and you take the door off the mini fridge and you butt it up to to there and you insulate that (laughs) and then it it turns the entire chamber it it, it, like extends the mini fridge chamber into the box that's exactly what i was going to say it's an extension of the fridge yeah and so I tested it out a little bit to see how, like how cold it could get and things. And I, I'm not going to be able to do lagering in it. I'm going to have to do that in my keyser still. Is it just um, not strong enough to to get down to those levels? It's you know in the winter it might be uh, because you know it's out in my brew shed and and so it might be able to. Um, but no, then the mini fridge is small. It's it's it it's not designed for anything like that. So. Okay. I'm not. I'm not able to, but it's perfect for ales. Like right now, I have a that uh, wort share in there. It's a mild. It's a English mild. So I'm doing a a London ale. It's ten twenty eight. I believe is the Y yeast number. Okay. And I'm fermenting that in there, and it's keeping at it at a near constant sixty four degrees in the chamber. Pretty healthy. Yeah, and the mini fridge only needs to kick on for about, you know, two, three minutes every 10 to 15 minutes. And so it's it's doing fine and and everything is in. So I just grabbed another one of those Inkbird temperature controllers and fed the temperature probe, just probe through. Just a probe into it, yeah, and that triggers uh-huh. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that triggers it. it and it takes care of it, so... <laughs> Yeah, it's actually you can find the and I put the build on our Twitter. I put a link to it to the 
you know, a couple pictures of the build, you can see it's actually not that complicated of a build. Uh, and there's more uh, directions that you can find on Homebrew Talk. And the the actual one that I found, like I said, on Homebrew Talk was for three or four different uh, carboys at a time. So it was a gigantic thing. And it had a larger mini fridge in order to be able to cool that whole situation. So I did sure. not want, I did not want anything that big. So I just uh, I made a basically a single unit and sized it for the catalyst, which is the largest fermenter that I have right now. And mm-hmm. so there you go. Well done. Temperature controlled. You, you did it right. I do have a bit of a funny you story. Did. Okay. All right. So, is this, a, is this a construction story or is it uh, something totally unrelated? No, it's a starter story. Oh, 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 a starter story. Okay. Yeah. So, I was creating a starter for the Wurtshare beer, and I put it, I, I, I put it in my Erlenmeyer flask, and my stir bar is in my lager right now, so I couldn't use it, so I was just shaking no. it. And so I put that starter with a. a pretty tight aluminum foil cap on the Erlenmeyer flask and put it into my chamber with the uh, Workshare beer. And so I was shaking it and everything, and everything was going fine. It was kicking off. It was doing its startery thing. And then the next morning, I find out enough yeast had gone airborne out of the starter. What? And into the fermenter, which was plugged with a stopper, but apparently was not a perfect seal, got into the fermenter and started fermenting the beer. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. So, that, like when I opened it up in the morning, because oh I was going to shake, the, I was going to shake the starter. So I opened it up in the morning and I noticed, why is the stopper on the ground and inside the fermenter? And then I looked inside inside the, the chamber, and I looked in the fermenter, and I saw a Croissant for me. <laughs> I was like, oh, so that's a thing. And <laughs> that is one of the most unexpected Brute stories I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. So it was close to 24 hours, and it's a relatively low ABV situation. I really didn't necessarily have to do a starter for the... Uh, um, for the 1028 for that to, to, to be able to handle that cleanly. Um, so I cold crashed, decanted and threw the yeast and I was like, I, you know, it's already fermenting. I don't want to stress out the yeast and everything. So I just pitched the yeast as quickly as I could to, uh, you know, to, with whatever is in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But so lesson learned, no matter how well you think your beer is stopped up, don't try to do a starter in the same chamber as your work. <laughs> you, you said it. You said it. If, 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 that, if, that, if that case right there doesn't, doesn't prove it, I don't know what does. Well, in my head, I was like, oh, oh. this is going to be perfect because yeah. The, yeah. the starter is going to be- starting at the same temperature of the, exactly. of the fermentation. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, as soon as I put it in, it's going to be the same temperature. Everything's going to be fine. And it just, it, it didn't exactly backfire. Like, there wasn't a mess. There wasn't anything, like, crazy. So, I don't think it's going to cause any problems, but it definitely was a bit surprising. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to share that tale somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a story that's got to be told. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad this, I'm glad this show gave you, gave you a venue to share that. <laughs> <laughs> oh right. man we are right at the one hour mark we are yes. yeah yeah we're about ready to seal up um actually i don't have a trivia question for today's show shame on me i'm a little disappointed uh, yeah, i am too yeah just <laughs> i didn't i just couldn't find it in, in proper time okay um www.niceplacetobrew.com uh, our facebook page is nice place to brew uh, our Instagram is at Nice Place to Brew. We post brew day pictures, um, bar pictures, brewery pictures, all kinds of stuff, and construction pictures as well. 
So, uh, yeah, yeah, we will be back. Um, we talked about a concept for a show that we're hopefully going to do in the next couple of weeks. Um, other breweries reviewed. Uh, so we've talked a lot about individual beers on this show. We've not talked at great length about individual breweries to the point of what's the overall experience like? What do we think, you know, is, is you know, how how solid and how uh, how well run and just how you know what are the what are the best breweries and what you know what you know what breweries may have a couple points they may not be addressing and we'll also talk about the concept of viability which I think is going to be a more present term around craft beer in the next couple years to come George any final notes yeah, no, I, I, I look forward to that one because I think in the next couple of years, we're going to be looking back at some brewers and some brewery owners and doing a where where are they now episode. Yeah, um, yeah exactly. So I think it's, it's going to be, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting concept that Jason came up with and I really, I dig it. I think that, you know, taking a look at not necessarily the beer, but, you know, that's going to be a factor, but the brewery itself and... And reviewing that is 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 going to be an interesting thing. So, Agreed. I'm excited for that one. Me too. Me too. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's close it up. Raise All a right. glass. George, have yep. any honors? Takes a lot of good beer to make great beer. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.